1: I'm Charles Fairley and for 30 years I've worked for big media companies like The Nine Network, Sony Music, AAP and Wynn Television and I started Unsung Business Heroes because I wanted to give small business owners a voice, many of those small business owners that I met through my work but also because my dad was a business owner and so helping small business and marketing and getting to know the motivation behind business is part of my life. Diana Ryle had a fascinating story so I really wanted to hear more about what she had learnt over her years in business but primarily from two angles one she was the uh, CEO or MD of Apple Australia around 2000 which must have been a fascinating position to be in at that time before Apple had really taken off as a global phenomenon um, pre-iPhone but secondly she got uh, struck down with breast cancer and how she coped with that made her a much stronger person and that was an element that really made her story unique and powerful. So I was really keen to sit down with Diana and get the inside running on how she coped with that, how it impacted her business and what she was doing now.
0: I often say that I was the end of war gift, or wasn't really a surprise, arriving just after the end of the war. A baby boomer, and right at the beginning of the baby boomers. It was a time where smart women did languages And languages aren't really my strength. My strength is maths and science. And so it wasn't until the last two years of school that I got the opportunity to really thrive a little bit in those areas which set the scene for university. Yes,
1: so you went on to university and met your husband, Bill, there.
0: Yes, I studied science mm -hmm. and I... Also studied a lot of other things. Having come from a girls' school, it was an exciting time where there were lots of young men around. And because I was doing science, a lot of my friends were in engineering. Bill was in uh, geology. And in first year, he was one of my tutors. And I didn't go out with him in first year, but in second year, I started to go out with him. And then we got married, as people did of my ilk. Uh, the year after I finished university.
1: And then you went travelling through Bills?
0: Yes, he finished his PhD at Sydney University and got a postdoctorate scholarship at Penn State University, which is a really interesting university in the middle of Pennsylvania State, and it really is a university town. So when we got married, of course, I went over there and I had all the right paperwork but still they wouldn't let me teach because I wasn't a citizen of the country. I was very, very disappointed, having only done one year of teaching, that that particular job role had disappeared. But in hindsight, the job that I picked up at Penn State University set the scene for so much of the rest of my life.
1: Yes, computer programmer. Absolutely. And what was different about computer programming that attracted you to it and were you you the only female?
0: I wasn't the only female but I had never touched a computer Mm. so we were writing computer-aided learning for schools, the slum schools in Pittsburgh and Philadelphia and we had a team, I think we had three women and eight men and they were interested in me because of my mathematics but I didn't have any of the computing But they said, we'll give you about a month and if you get the hang of it, you get to keep the job. So that was the first time I'd really, really been motivated to learn quickly. And it gave me great insights on... set my personal vision of how computers were going to change the way we lived our lives, especially in education, that people could do things differently. I feel very privileged to have been on the beginning of that wave and the experience I got at Penn State set the scene when we moved to Canada. So I came back and started teaching again in Australia. Right. And after Canada I was very disappointed with the constraints that were in the education system. I found it really, um, there was no freedom attached to it. And Canada had been a lot more flexible. So I applied for a job in the Department of Education, which I got. So I had a year there, and then I was pregnant with my first son. And I really realised, when we all look at our strengths, I realised that my strengths didn't marry up particularly well to living working in a government department. So I decided I wasn't going back there. After I'd had both of the children and done, I went back to university for a master of education. I did some part-time teaching work. And then I saw this tiny ad that said, full-time hotline systems engineer. And I kind of looked at the ad and thought, no, I don't want full-time and I don't want hotline and I'm not a systems engineer. (laughs) But I applied anyway and I got an interview because it was so early with computing that nobody had any experience, so at least I had some experience. And that was when I moved to Electronic Concepts and started doing external training courses for people on using computers. And it just so happened that Electronic Concepts were the distributors for Apple at that time. And then Apple came into Australia and then I moved over to Apple in 83 started off very much training teachers who were just beginning to get computers in the schools and had no idea what to do with them Mm -hmm. and people laugh when I say it wasn't a glamorous position I had a station wagon and I would go early to the office pack six Apple IIe's their screens and their disc drives in the boot drive out to the school set them all up make sure they're all working run an in-service course for the day and then drive them all back so people say oh it must have been glam no it wasn't glam at all no. it was just hard work but then that evolved as uh, more computers got into schools my real start in apple was in this mix once again of an understanding of computing as well as an understanding of education.
1: And in terms of the gender balance in those days, were you one of very few women? Very few women.
0: And then I moved into marketing and then sales and marketing and then I headed up the whole education division and there really were very few women in those areas.
1: So you were a groundbreaker.
0: I was. There was kind of just me (laughs) in the executive team. We even had a male, in HR. I guess I just saw it that even since university, when I'd studied maths and statistics, I was one of a very small cohort of women. And then when I studied computer science at Penn State, I was one of one or two women. So I'd always expected to be in the minority. And I always thought, oh, well, it's because I'm inclined towards maths and science. Yes rather than really stepping back and saying, well, why don't we have more women here? I spent nearly 20 years at Apple and I moved out the education market. I did some business development work in Asia. I looked after our customer support for a while. I looked after our developers for a while. So again, having cut code earlier, uh, that gave me good experience. And the last four years, I was the managing director. And in year 2000, I've got to say a real highlight was we won employer of the year. It was the first year that they gave out that award and we went into the competition not because I thought we would win, but rather this was a way of getting an engagement survey done by someone else at no cost. So that was great. The Olympics in Sydney were amazing. I don't know if you were in Sydney at the time. I was. But the whole feeling around the beach volleyball, people were doing Mexican waves mm. and it was really fantastic out on Bondi Beach and it was a highlight. And then in October, after we'd done that, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Mm. And that was kind of a downer. You start off hearing and then you start off getting a bit more information about what the treatment schedule is, and I realised that I wasn't going to be able to continue to have the profile that I'd had in the press with Apple. Mm. Um, So I worked with our marketing director, Ben. We went back to the people in Asia Pacific and said, how about we job share? Mm. And they weren't terribly keen because job sharing the head of a company in Australia isn't seen very often even today. No. And that allowed me to have chemo and radio and more chemo. Um, and I took some of the more strategic things, and Ben took a lot of the day to day. But we managed to make it work really, really well. Mm. I think when you suddenly realize your life is threatened, you start to really think about what's valuable and what's not. So when I had finished the treatment in the middle of 2001 and had kind of got back on my feet, I thought about the fact that if you've been the Managing Director or the CEO in Australia for four years, what difference is it if you make that six years? And yet, if you've had breast cancer, if it comes back in the first two years, your prognosis is not good. I loved what I was doing at Apple. I loved Apple's products. The products coming through the pipeline after Steve Jobs came back, were very exciting. And so my heart was not ready to leave Apple. But my head said, this is the right time and the right thing to do. And I had no idea what I would do. So I see my life in a number of different areas at this stage. I've got my work part through Explore for Success. It came about with talking to lots of people and also talking to young women who had come through university and were finding the workplace challenging. And I thought, gee, I learned a lot during that time at Apple about being the only woman, how to present things, how to get your points across. Mm-hmm. And I thought, maybe that's a way. So what I did was book a room at the YWCA By sending out emails to my friends and young people that I knew, I got about 35 people in the room and said, this is what I think, you know, find out more about yourself, think about how you operate in the workplace, think about what your goals and aspirations are. And of the 30-something in the room, 24 said, yes, I want to do that program. We had six sessions over six months. And then over the last 15 years... We've grown and now have a team of 20 around the country, and I have a really good team who delivers our programs, which of course have evolved over the years to make sure that we stay abreast of what's happening in the gender equality space. Then I do feel that it's important to have a balance of what's commercial and what's not for profit. So I've been very involved in the National Breast Cancer Foundation, Dress for Success in Sydney from its inauguration. Good Return that does microloans and financial training in Asia. And then, of course, the third component is I have a husband of many years and both of my sons are now grown up. They're married and have three children each. And there is a part of wanting to be involved and making sure that they thrive.
1: Why does that diversity matter to you?
0: I think during my career, I really didn't reflect on gender diversity that much. I did notice when in the executive team we got a second woman around the table, it really changed the dynamics. People bring different perspectives and they frame questions and problems in different ways. And I think what you really need is different people looking. It's the same thing if you tell a story, someone will tell it from one perspective. The same story, a car smash or something, someone will tell it and it sounds quite different. Sometimes it's so different, you don't even know if it's the same story. But when you're trying to solve problems in an organisation like Apple, Then having different perspectives and people saying, yes, but maybe we could consider this. Whether it's a gender thing or not, you need those different people to ensure that you get the best solution to problems. Gender diversity was probably the key to what brought me into the diversity space, but the longer I'm there, the more I realise that diversity is much broader than that. You've got whether it's racial heritage, you've got different religions, you've got different people, or people who maybe were born in Australia but have a different heritage, you have people who arrived in Australia. All of these facets of diversity uh, make for an interest in other people. But sometimes, their particular strengths get masked because they're not the same as the ruling group. It's well proven that you look, you're inclined to hire someone who maybe doesn't look like you but responds like you. So I'm fast paced, I'm out there. So am I more inclined to hire someone else who's fast paced and making decisions and is that really what I need in finance or law or something like that. So this whole diverse perspective has given me a whole new lease of life to learn more things, learn more about different people and I find it fascinating and I continue to be inspired by different people, different skill sets and how we can change workplaces in Australia if we become Less diversity blind.
1: Anyone you would say was uh, mentoring you? Steve
0: Famos certainly mentored me. He came into Apple as the managing director early in the 90s. He put me into a whole lot of different job roles still within Apple. And that really gave me the experience that when I did take over Apple Australia, I understood all the areas. So he was someone and... I remember him taking me into the office one day and said, you do realise half the staff are scared stiff of you, don't you? (laughs) And I said, what do you mean? I'm five foot nothing, I'm friendly, I'm nice. It turned out my own team knew how I operated, so I'm quite direct. But I found that because I get to the point very quickly, I was putting other people off. So I might say, Charles how are you going with that project and they would often think oh you know what has she heard about this project she thinks it's not going well. So I learned that if I changed my approach and said I've got a phone call with the states tomorrow or I'm writing the monthly report the project you're working on is really important can you give me a two minute update. It totally changed the language, it totally changed. And if Steve had not given me that feedback, I probably would have kept on with that same style. Mm. And so it is a great gift to me. I then became a member of the Chief Executive Women's Group and became the Vice President there. So I think if you can connect with other senior women and hear what worked for them and what didn't, It helps you develop your own personal style, And also
1: you got an order of Australia.
0: It was a real highlight. And I've got to say part of the reason it was a highlight was that there were three different things. There was an impact on computer education, which wasn't about hitting good targets in selling Apple products. It was about the role I'd had of working with educators as partners, whether they were using Apple products or not, It was the work that I've been doing in gender equality and also the work that I have been doing and continue to do in some of the not-for-profits. So my first one I got very involved with was the National Breast Cancer Foundation. And so I worked with Sue Cameron, who was at the Breast Cancer Foundation at the time, to develop a speakers bureau. I was able to bring a guy who is an actor who also does training in people speaking Mm. and so now they have hundreds of women who have experienced breast cancer bureau and some of them are only prepared to present to a group of 10 and some of them are very happy to go on a huge stage. So again it's kind of, what did I do that made that difference? I don't do so much with them now, but to see the Speakers Bureau go from nothing to being a really significant part of their strategy gave me a lot of reward. Mm -hmm. And then Dress for Success was the founder, Megan Etheridge, is a friend of mine. And she said, I really want to start this thing. And I said, well, Because I work with Explore, I have a lot of connections in corporate life. So I can bring the corporate side of a charity, the fact that you need money, people attending events, people donating prizes. I said to her, I can bring some of that. And she's got a wealth of experience of working with disadvantaged people. So in terms of the delivery of the service, she was fantastic. And again, our, our diverse skills allowed Dress for Success to move from a startup working in the back room of another charity to being a charity that supports over 2,000 women each year. And then Good Return uh, does microloans in Asia. Mm. And I wanted to have another string to my bow of, uh, most microloans go to women. And the return rate is normally about 99% of the funds come back. And because Good Return operates in Asia, I thought that was a really good charity to get involved with. And I met the CEO and then we talked a lot about his strategies and where he was going. And so that again has been... A fantastic charity to be involved with. I can
1: see that you love giving back. Uh,
0: I really enjoy that. I'm fortunate. I'm at a time in my life where I can afford to financially, and I'm healthy enough, and the brain has stayed uh, fresh enough that I can do that. And I have no wish to do things just hang around at home, doing very little. And of course I do have six grandchildren that take up time as well.
1: Fantastic.
0: Five of which are young women, young girls. Excellent. And that again has given me additional momentum that our workplaces just have to be more inclusive and more diverse by the time they're looking for work. Ideally they'll be paid equally, they'll be promoted equally, they'll have opportunities equally. And so that's very, very important to me. And, of course, my husband's in science. I'm in science. Um, Guess what? Five girls are pretty good at mathematics. I'm sure
1: they would. So
0: they're going to end up in that part of the workplace that has fewer women.
1: And if they said they wanted to start their own business, what sort of advice would you give them around that? Uh,
0: Think about what you want to achieve what is the vision, not yes, you've got to have money, things have got to be going, but why are you thinking of starting this? And mine was to make more women more successful in the workplace. And then I would say version 1.0 is really important, and this is what came through to me when I was looking after our developer community at Apple, that many of the developers would keep on developing and I'm just going to add this, I'm just going to add that. And getting them to put out version 1.0 so that they started a revenue stream was often quite challenging. I say you can give them free upgrades, you can do, but you need people who say your product is great, you need people who say it'd be so much better if you did this. So I would say to anyone starting a business, Think about what version 1.0 looks like mm. and get it out in a short time. And then look at how you can enhance that or broaden your services, but you don't have to do it all. And then of course, watch the p and watch the cash flow and don't work for too long for nothing. You know, I do see a number of women who, even some years later, are saying, oh, well, I just pour all the money back into the business. And it's like, no, you need to be taking money out as well.
1: If you like that episode of Unsung Business Heroes, you're really going to enjoy our next episode with Andrew Rocks of Announcer Financial Planning Group, who talks about how his grandfather had a real impact on him when Andrew was just eight years old and how it shaped his opinion about how to include people in business and that's turned into a real success story for his business. Unsung Business Heroes was presented by me, Charles Fairley, in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. The executive producer was Jenny Goggin. If you'd like to see the videos of my interviews with these Unsung Business Heroes, go to unsungbusinessheroes.com.au. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au. Download the Podcast One app or search for Unsung Business Heroes on iTunes.